Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Well, I'm excited for today's episode. It's with Dr. Michelle Johnston. She wrote a book on the seismic shift in leadership. And in this episode, we're discussing how connection has become the new power in leadership and how leaders can thrive in this new era of connection. There's countless modes of communication digitally, like email, text, chat, virtual meetings. And we asked the question, is connection more or less meaningful than it was before we had all these tools? So Dr. Johnston shares her insights on the seismic shift that she's seen in leadership from power to connection and how she came to this conclusion. She'll talk about the characteristics of connection, the foundational levels of connection, and the importance of owning your own communication style. She's got tons of great stories and tips on how to connect with your team as well. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode. If you liked this episode and you like the show, please go to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button if you're not subscribed. That way you can get the episodes that come every week to you on Tuesday and sometimes twice a week. In fact, this week we have a bonus episode on Friday with Nicole Blevins, so don't miss that. Thanks for all the support. If you would share it with a friend, that's the best thing you could do. Share it on social media so people know about it. Tag me if you can on LinkedIn. That, that'd be fantastic. Again, thanks for all the support. Enjoy today's episode with Dr. Michelle Johnston. Michelle, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Oh, Brandon, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this all week. I can't wait to connect with you and your listeners. Well, you wrote a, a timely book, especially coming out of the pandemic. It's called The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in a New Era of Connection. And I wanted to start by saying, like, you got the great Marshall Goldsmith to write uh, forward for you. I, I love Marshall. Like his books are amazing. So it's really, it's really cool that he wrote that. He had wrote a little snippet in there, which I thought was interesting. He said, like, now that we have all these modes of communication, which is email and text and virtual meetings, we have to be more intentional about the way we're connecting, right? Like with those digital modes of communication, do you see it as more meaningful, less meaningful? Is it a little bit of both? Like, I'm just curious what your, what your thoughts are on what he said. Yeah, so I'm going to answer two of your questions, one that you didn't even realize was a question about Marshall Goldsmith. And I think this is really good for your listeners to know, because it was a big wake up for me that he's my official mentor, and he's been phenomenal. And he did write the forward to the book. But the reason why I want to mention it is because it took me a while to get him to be my official mentor. I remember I was at a big leadership event um, with some of the executives I was coaching, and there were thousands of us in the room. And Marshall was on stage, and he had just turned 70 and said, I want to pay it forward. And whoever wants to be mentored by me, you know, send me an email. I ran home Brandon so fast and sent him an email and got wholeheartedly rejected. He said he did not realize that 16,000 people would want him to be his mentor in that first week. And so I totally understood. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I didn't let that stop me. I had not yet published my book. And so when I finally was sending my book off to my publisher, I reached out to Marshall again and said, I really feel 
feel that this topic is timely and I would love for you to be my mentor. And I'll never forget that day I was teaching at home and I shut down my computer after literally teaching my leadership students about executive coaching and about Marshall Goldsmith and stakeholder centered analysis. And I shut down my computer and the phone rings and it's Marshall and said, I would love to be your mentor. So it's really serendipitous and, and also a lesson in not giving up. So I just wanted to mention that first, all of your listeners out there, go after the mentor who you want. And even if they say no the first time, keep asking. The second thing that, that you referred to is, yes, this whole theory that I have, that connection is of essence, it's imperative right now, it's got to be intentional and deliberate, is a function of how the landscape of our communication has changed and our modes. And I was on a four-hour Zoom yesterday that was so old school. There weren't any visuals. We just said there weren't any breaks embedded in four hours, no breaks and no visuals. And I thought, okay, this is an example of how we just haven't adapted to this new world. We're a visual world. We're a world where we need connections. So yeah, I'm telling people, A, it's got to be intentional and B, you've got to understand and utilize the tools that you're given. So how are you using Zoom? Are you using breakout groups? Please begin and get people to connect in breakout groups and then use visuals. I mean, there are ways we can do this, but like you said, it has to be intentional. Michelle, you wrote about the seismic shift and the shift is from power to connection. Where did you come up with that that idea? Do you just is it experience, observation? Unpack that for me. Brandon, it was such an interesting journey. I don't know if I would have written the book unless I had stumbled so much with connection. So I don't want your listeners to think, oh, Michelle Johnston came out of the womb is this touchy feely. Nope, I did not <laughs> at all. I was very action oriented and really struggled in the MBA classroom when I was first hired, when I've been there for over 20 years at Loyola. And I think I was a 28-year-old, brand new, coming out of the PhD program, MBA professor. And I had been mentored by really great faculty members and academia is very old school. And so I was given the message that it was all about power. And so I would march into the classroom and I was the expert and they were the student. They were to listen and I was to command and control. And also I had these ideas in my head from being in the undergraduate master's and PhD program in communication, never let them see you sweat, hold all the power. So I had all these internal messages. And so that's how I led. I led with power. And guess what, Brandon? It didn't necessarily work. And my dean would call me in and say, there's the disconnection and, and I would think, well, I don't want to be friends with my students. Why would I want to be friends with my students? But he'd say, yeah, but there's something else. We need you to have connection. So I went on a real exploration of what that looked like and felt like and what that could be like. And that was when people were talking about flipping the classroom that maybe you should make the classroom more experiential. And rather than walking in as, a, as an academic lecturer and all you do is show PowerPoint slides and put the audience to sleep and then send them home to do homework, flip it so that they do all the reading and the stuff beforehand. And when they come to class, utilize that time for true experiences. And you know what's interesting about that, Brandon, is what I'm seeing. I just hosted, I have a podcast called The Seismic Shift, and the episode that dropped today was my interview with Juan Martin of Kind Bars. And the question I asked him was, okay, you're now out of the pandemic. 
all of your people are, are choosing not to come into work every day. When they come to the office, what are you doing differently? And he said, Michelle, I don't even have a door on my office. We reconfigured the entire space so that when they choose to come in, it is all about experiences as a team together. So isn't that interesting, those parallels? So I went through that you know, years ago, realizing when you have people together, let's intentionally connect and collaborate so that it's no longer one way. And that's what true connection is about. It's about reciprocity. It's about dialogue. So that's that big seismic shift going from that one-way transactional model to let's have a conversation and connect. Yeah, it's interesting you just walking through all that because it wasn't like an overnight thing. And maybe you like you came to this conclusion at some point. It probably took many many lectures and just uh, over time you you did make this shift. So for people who have been it, it's ingrained in them this fear control way of leading to then move to connection what are some of the key characteristics to connect because it's like people could be listening to this podcast and and hear Michelle talking about oh just connect well, how do we do that? It took years for me as a leader to figure it out. Years, Brandon, years. And then once as a professor, you publish or perish, right? So I had my head down for years, publishing, publishing, publishing. And then when I lifted my head up, I was like, I want to be an executive coach. And now all of a sudden I'm coaching these leaders and I'm seeing they're doing the same things that I was doing that they still thought that they needed to lead with command and control. And it was all about power. And they inadvertently were creating these cultures of fear. So I'm getting hired by these CEOs of companies. Please, Michelle, help my executives build cultures of innovation. And I'm looking around and conducting 360 assessments, getting all this data and realize, whoa, because they're leading in that old way, they're doing the opposite of creating cultures of innovation. They're creating cultures of fear. So once I saw that it was happening in the workplace, that's when I decided to write my book. And then I went and I said, okay, I know it's all about connection, but just like the question you asked, I didn't know what that looked like, felt like, sounded like, what in the world is this thing called connection? I also knew that it had to be at three levels. I knew it had to start first with yourself because when you're trying to be perfect, perfection equals disconnection. You're showing up as somebody else so you can't really connect with your team. So it really had to start with you and connecting with you and who you are and owning your journey and understanding your superpowers and your blind spots, a lot of self-reflection in order to get to that next level of connection, which is with your team, which is what you're asking about, which I promise I will answer. And then that high level of connection with the organization, the mission, the vision. So I then went and interviewed 18 leaders from around the world asking these questions. Okay, what does connection look like? What do you actually do? And so this interview, again, that just dropped today with Juan Martin of Kind Bars, I said, okay, great. So you reconfigured your whole workplace up in Manhattan for those who can come into the office. I said, but what are you doing? You're the global president. So you're still communicating and leading with people in Africa and Belgium and England. What are you doing differently now? And he lifted up his espresso cup and he said, Michel, because he's from Spain. He said, I'm a European. I love my espresso. And so my people know that the first five minutes of whatever meeting it is, it could be a one-on-one, -on -one, it could be a team meeting, but for whatever the meeting it is, for the first five minutes, we visually lift our cups of espresso up 
or whatever they're choosing to drink. And we talk personal. I want to know how their kids are, what their vacation plans are, how their Thanksgiving was, if they're in the United States, you know, where they go in for the holidays. I want to know personal. Once we do that, then we get down to business. And so I want your listeners to kind of get it out of their head. A lot of people think, oh gosh, I have to begin with a silly icebreaker. That's so not me. I'm not asking for a silly icebreaker. I'm asking for you just to ask a question about your people to show that you care about them as people. That it's not just getting on the call and business as usual. Okay, Brandon, what's the agenda? Okay, you're marketing. Did you accomplish your goals? Could you bring us an update? That's business as usual. That's not going to work. It's not going to work anymore. People are going to be like, what? Let's connect. Let's spend a little bit of time talking personal stuff. I also want your listeners to know too, I'm not advocating for them to be anybody's therapist and to memorize the names of all dogs, all babies, ages, activities, not at all. I'm just saying, you know what? It's connection has got to be intentional and it's got to be a way for you to show interest, genuine interest in your people as humans. I'm glad you brought up the three levels of yourself, team, and organization. I want to unpack those a little bit. So let's start with yourself. There's a few gems in that section that I wanted to uncover and, and let you unpack it a little bit. So you told a story about you're in college. I think you went to Auburn, joined the sorority, and you hadn't really found yourself. and Every person you'd meet who's maybe from a different area, you would sort of flex your behavior based on them just to try to fit in. And I get that because we just want to belong, right? But you didn't have your own story there. You didn't have it built. So why is it important to start with yourself, reflect on your own story? Because then there was this other point which ties in nicely with it, which was if you don't come up with your own story somebody else will. They'll they'll project whatever they believe on on you about what your story is. So why why is it important that we create our own narrative? Well, first of all, Brandon, you totally see me. I feel very seen by you. Thank you. Great memory too. Yeah, I didn't realize that moving around, I loved moving around growing up every two years. I loved moving to different cities from Detroit to Nashville to East Brunswick, New Jersey to Memphis, Tennessee. Like I had the whiplash of all kinds of different cultures, um, at least east of the Mississippi. I never made it to Oregon where you are. And I really enjoyed it. What I didn't realize is that it would end up biting me in the butt. When I was trying, I, I, I was, my default, like you said, was just fitting in. So if somebody said, like at, like at Auburn, I try, here I am in the middle of this super Southern university and I loved it. And the women, my sorority members are like, you are the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they would wear these long Laura Ashley dresses and skirts. And, and I was from the Northeast and, and Michigan and I couldn't pull it off. And I tried so hard. And what I found though, is because I just kept trying to fit in and fit in, fit in, that people would see me as fake. And like you said about, I wasn't owning my story. So if they said, oh, I'm from Birmingham, I'd say, oh, my parents live in Birmingham because they did for two months. And then the conversation would shut down because they realized you're not really from Birmingham. Who the heck are you? Right. And and I, I just couldn't go deep because I hadn't really owned my story. And I had to work hard at that when I joined Loyola's staff faculty. And the dean said, you've got to figure out a way to connect. I started making my students own their stories and share their stories, which meant 
I had to own my story. And that's when I really spent some time saying, okay, this lifestyle of moving around all the time, really, I was able to benefit from. I was resilient. I was adaptable. I enjoy learning about people. And that also, I didn't feel like I had a home and I had to own that rather than run from that. So so through that process of having my students own their journeys, I then owned my journey. And once I owned it and, and didn't try to pretend that I was from Birmingham and said, no, I've lived in 15 different cities, but I've made New Orleans my home. And I'm here because this is a city built on connection. And I love it. I finally had a story, Brandon. And once I had a story and could talk about it, then people didn't find me fake. They're like, oh, okay, I get you now. When people hide pieces and parts of themselves, that's when people make up typically incorrect versions of you because they feel that you're hiding and nobody likes somebody who's hiding. So yeah, that was huge. This doesn't come easy for a lot of people. That's the thing is like, this is not a problem for me because I'm authentic. Like I always tell people like what you see is what you get, like the good and the bad is I'm not perfect. <laughs> I don't pretend to be. I mean, sometimes I'll rub, maybe rub people the wrong way, but it's just like, it's part of my story. I know who I am and I'm just, I'm not going to be fake. But for people who this doesn't come naturally, how do they reflect on what their story is and even hone in on like, you know, who they are and how, how they show up? So this is how I did it. So I read Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. And it was a fantastic book and a real eye opener because her research showed that if you continue to try to fit in, you will never belong. And as you said earlier, what we as humans want is to belong. Okay, so that gets your attention. She has all the research. And then what I do with all of my clients and my, my students is I have you pick out the significant life event that was really challenging that made you who you are today and share it and then really figure out how you grew from that and how you learned and overcame and how it made you stronger. And if you go through that process, then that's the process of owning your journey. And then what, what I love to do with the, the executive teams I work with is let's do this as a group exercise together. Because now in this hybrid world, I facilitate a lot of big meetings where somebody from Singapore might fly in and it's the first time that their team has ever seen them in person. And it's so much easier if you just know that Matt from Singapore you can make up stuff about Matt from Singapore if you don't really know him and his journey. But you bring everybody together. And I had such a blast working with Qualcomm during the pandemic. They had a relatively new chief marketing officer, Don McGuire, who's now one of the most influential CMOs. They had the money, Qualcomm had the money to every quarter bring in people from around the world because he wanted to disrupt. And they're the most one of the most innovative technology companies. And I said, you got to slow down if you really wanted disrupt, we have to connect. So let's spend an entire day in different groups, owning your journey, owning, you know, going through personality tests, having common language, owning your communication styles, and really doing all these group exercises that required self-reflection. That to me is the answer to your question. We as leaders have to take time. So Salesforce, their, their leaders are still telling them, I want to work remotely. So now every quarter, what I'm hearing is they're requiring their people to come face to face for three days. Because once you know somebody's story, there's very little room for judgment. So you have to own your journey and your story, and then you have to share it so that others can trust you. That's how you create psychological safety in teams. 
as you're talking, I'm, I'm going back to when I was 23 years old, one of the first books I read, you know, you get burned out in college of reading. And so it took me a couple of years out of college to start reading again. One of the books I read was Stephen M.R. Covey's book, Speed of Trust. And I thought that was so interesting because it's like, in order for business to be done and move fast, you have to trust people and connect. And if you don't do that, then business is slow. It's clunky. You make mistakes and you fail. And I just, that ties in so perfectly with what you're talking about here. Gosh, you are so right. Because to go fast, you have to go slow, right? And and I'll never forget Warner Thomas is in my book and he's the new CEO at Sutter Health in California. And he loved talking about the speed of trust. And he would talk about that example of all of a sudden after 9-11, when it took forever now to get to the gate. Think about airports were wide open. I have memories of my parents and grandparents walking me right up to the window, watching me get on the airplane and waving as I taxied out. And now all of a sudden when you don't trust how long that takes, right? Yep, absolutely. So similar to the way you said about we need to reflect on our own story, we need to own our story, you said own our communication style as well. How do we like recognize what specific style we have? Unpack that for me. On my first sabbatical, I developed a communication assessment because I, I found that teams struggled the most with communication and I wanted to give people a common language. So whether you take mine, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of communication assessments out there. And I highly recommend as a team to go through that process together, everybody take their, their communication assessment and go around and say, I'm a people communicator. I focus on relationships and connection. And then the next person says, I'm an action communicator. And I really just focus on the bottom line and results. And then the third category that I found through my research is the content communicator, which really just focuses on the data and the research. And then there's the technology communicator that just wants to get it done, efficiency. So what I have found is that when, when speaking and listening, if you are high action, you're really not concerned with the relationship. You're just listening for what I need to do to get to the bottom line. And you're speaking, what do you need to do to get the bottom line? Once you go through this process, you realize why a lot of teams break down and communication breaks down because we're all valuing different things when we're speaking and listening. So that's in the second part of my book, which is connecting with each other, is really owning how you show up as a communicator what your preferences and styles are, and then taking your team through. That, that's one of the things Don McGuire of Qualcomm was also on my podcast. And he said, Michelle, that first day when we brought people from around the world to connect and they own their journey, he said one of the most crucial components was we had to all take the same personality test and figure out how we showed up as humans and how we were creative problem solvers. So I highly recommend that. Yeah. So you're talking about that second level, which is the team. I want to go a little deeper on that, if you don't mind, especially in this environment right now, where it's like some workplaces are fully remote, some are stuck in this hybrid and some maybe never left the workplace. This is probably a lot, but like, what, how, how do you connect with your team? Is there like just core, like foundational components that help you connect with the team? Is there any exercises that you recommend? I'm floor is yours on this one. Oh, absolutely. So again, the first thing I recommend to connect with your team is to have your team own their journeys and share them. The second thing is have them take a communication or personality assessment, have a facilitator come in and do that together. And now you have a common language. And then listening is crucial. 
And so I really recommend executive teams once a quarter to have an outside facilitator come in, or you might have a, a, a big internal leadership institute, somebody that could come in and do this for you. And every quarter, do some exercises on listening and having honest conversations and difficult conversations and how to be an empathetic listener. Because what I found in all of this research interviewing these 18 leaders trying to figure out what connection looks like, feels like, and sounds like, listening was absolutely imperative. And yet so many people are, are admit that they're not very good listeners, especially on Zoom. I referred to that Zoom call I was on yesterday for four hours. You know, so many people turn their cameras off. Well, if 92% of a message is nonverbal, then you only have an 8% chance of being effective at communicating if by just turning your camera off, right? So we have to figure out how to show up as good listeners, particularly in this hybrid environment. But yeah, I think that these quarterly team development sessions where somebody from the outside said, we're going to go through some listening exercises. We're going to go through some communication exercises. We're going to continue to get to know each other as humans. That's how you build a team. I'm going to put you on the spot. And if you can't think of anything, that's fine. But do you have any stories of people that you know have had struggled with connection with their team and then transformed? Oh, my goodness. Yes. I had this gentleman and I cannot say his name. He was the symbol of perfection. And he had been raised in a Jack Welch type culture, a company like GE. It was a company that just looked up to Jack Welch and, and GE in the 80s, and that's how he was trained. So there was never a hair out of place. His shoes were always polished. His clothes were custom. His teeth were white. And he never shared anything that wasn't perfect with his people. So he would bring me in usually once a year to work with his team. And he wanted his team to take risks and really think differently. I said, okay, well, in order to take risks, you have to feel like you can make a mistake and ask a dumb question. So will you share with the team a time that you made a mistake? No, 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 no. I can't do that. Because then they'll think that I'm not perfect. I said, but yeah, but perfection equals disconnection. There's a disconnect with your team. If you demand that you're perfect and then you demand that they're perfect, innovation isn't going to happen. So we spent a whole lot of time. And then I um, recommended to the CEO that this leader get an executive coach and go through 360 because he just had this belief that he had to be perfect and he was not going to get what he wanted out of his team with the pressure that he put on them. He would have these virtual calls. And if a person made a mistake in the Excel spreadsheet and he found a number that was off, he would berate them in public. I mean, it was a true culture of fear. You cannot be innovative in that environment. So yes, he was rehabilitated with the help of an executive coach. That was tough. That was tough because it was how he was raised. You said perfection equals disconnection just now. I, I love that is perfect. That, that really packages up what we're talking about here, which is owning your story and connecting with your team. Like I, I love that. I just wanted to call that out. The organization is that third level. What can we do? You know, What are the components to connecting with the organization? I have a great story of organizational disconnection. So one of the leaders in my book is Jim Mora. 
Right now, he is the head football coach of the University of Connecticut. He had been the head football coach of Atlanta Falcons, Seattle Seahawks, UCLA. When I interviewed him for my book, he was on ESPN Sports Center, And so he was taking a lot of time to reflect, and he really wanted to coach again. And so we had a couple of really good interviews. He was one of the few leaders, Brandon, who really talked about his failures, I think because he was in this time of reflection. And I said, tell me about the level of connection at the organizational level. Have you ever had any stumbles? He said, stumbles? He said, when I was the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, he said, I played football for the University of Washington. I was pretty much raised in Seattle. He said, so I went back home. We were about to be a Monday night football. He said, so that weekend I went back home and my best friend from college was a radio host. He had me on his radio show. And he said, Jim, if the University of Washington head coach position comes available, would you want it? And he said, Michelle, in that moment, ego got in the way. And I lost focus that I was representing the Atlanta Falcons as the head coach. But ego got in the way. I lost my connection with who I was representing. And I said in that moment, laughing and joking, absolutely, that would be my dream job. And he said, what was sad is that he really, he goes, because I really was just having fun and joking. But what was really sad is when the wheels landed on the airplane in Atlanta, the owner got on the telephone with me and he said, I want you to march into that locker room and face your, your teammates. And he did. And he said, that's when he realized he was about to be fired because he looked in their eyes and saw that he'd lost their trust. So he was fired. He lost 30 pounds, had to move his entire family. And then all of those players he recruited, he said it was the worst time of his career. However, it certainly taught him that big lesson of how important it is to stay connected with your organization. That is so powerful. I'm glad you shared that. One of the things that you pointed out is that leaders need to own their calendar. I think this is really important because our time is is so precious. And I even wrote something on LinkedIn this morning about like just how busyness gets in our way. Like our calendars are full. We're in a constant state of other people's priorities. How do we need to reflect on our calendar so that as leaders, we're most effective. We're there for our team. We're connected to our people or connected to our organization. What, what do you think? Yeah. So Warner Thomas, when he was the head of auctioner here, now he's at Sutter Health, taught me about owning your calendar. When I was in his office and I was showing him my three levels of connection, I said, okay, so we're at this top level connection with the organization. Help me understand how do you as a leader connect with your organization? And he, without skipping a beat said, it's all about owning your calendar. I said, what? He goes, it's all about your operating rhythm. I said, okay, teach me because this never occurred to me. He said, well, first you have to identify the key stakeholders who are critical to your success. Write all those names down. Then you have to look at the rhythm of your calendar. What is, you know, there might be all these HR mandatory practices. What does January look like? February, March, make sure all of that strategic planning, calibration, employee reviews, right? He said, we have big leadership events. Put those in your annual calendar. Now go deeper and more focused on what your week should look like. So how often should you be meeting with these key stakeholders? Should it be 
every week, every other week? Should you have morning huddles? How many people should even be on your E-team, your executive team? What do those meetings look like? He said, as a leader, you have to own your calendar. That is the only way you can be successful. So Warner taught me that. And then one of my clients, Eden Ezel, is the head of compliance. And she said, Michelle, I finally figured out how to own my calendar based on my personality so that I could be as effective as I can be. I said, do tell. She said, I'm an introvert. And so I literally, after big meetings that take a lot of energy, I have to embed time for me not to have meetings and just reflect and process. She said, so now my weekly operating rhythm, she said, Monday mornings, I have no meetings scheduled so that after I drink my cup of coffee, I'm in planning mode and really thinking, 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 planning mode. She said, then my first meetings will be Monday afternoon. She goes, work really hard Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Fridays afternoon, no meetings. She said, and I take that time to follow up, show appreciation, and express gratitude. And that then puts me in the right mindset for the weekend because I leave just feeling fulfilled. I've dotted all of my I's, crossed my T's, thanked who I needed to thank, showed appreciation. And she said, and it just helps me be the better leader. She said, the second thing I did is I realized owning my calendar, I was telling all of my direct reports how I wanted to meet with them. But then I realized my one-on-one meetings with them should be about what they need from me. She said, so I sent out an email a couple of weeks ago and I said, you know what? I'm saying to meet with me every other week on Zoom with your cameras on for an hour. That might not work for you. What would be best for you? She said each one of her direct reports came back with different requests. One of them's like, I'm such an extrovert. I've been working from home with two small children for two years. Can we please meet in a coffee shop? And Eden's like, absolutely. Another one is a former police officer. She's also head of risk. And he goes, Eden, I could just talk to you on the telephone once a month. We're good. She's like, check. So it's really, I think owning your calendar is understanding you and your energy levels, when you work best, how you work best, and then putting it on your people and asking them, how do you want to be effective with me? Michelle, I knew this conversation was going to be great, but it was even better than I could have imagined. So thank you for this. Can you think of any parting thoughts or calls to action that you want to give people? Yeah, it's got what I have found to, to your listeners. What First of all, thank you so much for tuning in. Brandon is awesome, as you already know. It's got to be intentional. It's just in this hybrid work environment. We can't do things as normal operating procedures. It doesn't work anymore. It's got to be more connective rather than transactional. And you just have to embed time to meaningfully connect because it's just not happening organically anymore. So I think if I could just leave your listeners with that one thought, really think about your calendar and how you can meaningfully connect and embed time for connection, because that's how you're going to get the most out of your people. My guest today has been Michelle Johnston. Michelle's book is The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in a New Era of Connection. Michelle, thanks for being part of the podcast. Really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much, Brandon. Y'all have a great day. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. 
Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.